Colossians chapter 3, if you'd like to turn there in the New Testament. Our study will begin in verse 18, but in thinking about this, this message for the last several weeks, and in light of watching the evening news, which is my habit, <clears throat> I've come to the conclusion something is radically wrong in America today. Have you picked up on that? Do you, do you feel that there's just something wrong? Something, the, the train has run off the tracks. I, it, some of the news just touched my heart today. Uh, Christian divorce is up. For nearly 50 years, people who attended church regularly married at much higher rates, and for a majority of the population, those who attend church frequently also divorced at lower rates than the rest of the population. However, both marriage and church attendance has been in decline in the United States since 1970, while divorce has risen dramatically among Christians. In fact, there is today statistically no significant difference between the divorce rates of unbelievers, 33%, and believers, 32%. Something is wrong. <clears throat> Single-parent families are up, the news tells us, time and time again. According to the Pew Research Organization, quote, the, world's, the U.S. has the world's highest rate of children living in single-parent households. Of the 200 nations on planet Earth today, we hold the distinction of having the highest rate of children living in single-parent households. Households. For decades, the share of U.S. children living with a single parent has been rising, but it accompanied a decline in marriage rates and a rise in births outside of marriage. In fact, in some demographics in our country, 72% of all children are born out of wedlock. In some demographics, in others, it is 45%, 24%, But when we as a country look at so many children being born out of wedlock, we know something morally is wrong. Regardless of your political persuasion, this isn't right. You get the idea that marriage is under attack, that the home is under attack, our very children are under attack. Domestic violence is up. According to the American Journal of Emergency Medicine, domestic violence cases increased by 25 to 33% globally in 2020 alone. Globally, one in three women experienced physical or sexual violence, mostly by an intimate partner. It's off the charts. It's higher now than it has ever been. More than half of all mothers work outside the home among married couple families, two-thirds of mothers are employed, as are nearly three-quarters of unmarried mothers. What's the problem with that? Somebody else is raising your children. Your God-ordained responsibilities have been handed off to somebody that you may or may not know very well at all. That is our function. Most American children today spend about three hours a day watching TV. So if you're not raising your kids or a babysitter isn't raising your kids, TV and social media are. 
On average, children ages 8 to 12 in the United States spend four to six hours a day watching or using screens, and teens spend up to nine hours per day on average. And we've accepted that as normal. Somebody else is raising your teenagers. And all of those sources are ungodly. Understand that. The companies are run by pagans. They promote pagan values, not Christian values. And you think it's okay for your kids to be on those sort of media outlets nine hours per day? It's not making them better Christians. It's making them better pagans. We're losing this generation because we have tolerated this in the, in the interest of increasing technology, and we have to embrace that technology. Can I tell you, your teenagers are not Googling how to be a better Christian. It will result in the downfall of America. And yet we think so little of it today. Battered wives and children are on the increase. In America alone, more than 10 million cases were reported last year alone. 10 million cases. Something is radically wrong in America. Sad, sad beyond belief. I'm reminded as I study this precious book that you hold in your hands that the very first institution that God created in the Bible was the family unit. Before there were laws, before there were countries, before there were civilizations or governments of any kind, God established the family unit as the basis of all human life. The family unit. That's why it is so under attack today. Satan knows that if he can destroy the family, he can destroy a nation. He can destroy a church. He can destroy a civilization. He can destroy an entire world. In fact, the breakdown of the home is a sign of the end times. Did you know that? That what we see in America today was prophesied in Scripture as being a part of the last day's scenario that should alert the church of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be the dissolution of the family unit. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul wrote his protege and wrote this, but mark this, dear Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves What's that mean? Pursuing entertainment and selfish needs. We call that narcissism, where it's all about me. People will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money. What's that? Greed, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands as to how many of you have experienced out-of-control children in your house. I'm not going to ask you that. I wouldn't embarrass you like that. But you'd have to agree with me, it's a problem in America today. These children will be ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, but treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure. That's what the world lives for today. 
entertainment and pleasure. That's all the world lives for. It is, it is bent on itself and itself alone. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What did Jesus say? You can't serve two masters. Having a form of godliness. What's that mean? They go to church. They don't cuss as much as the pagans do. They might wear slightly modest, more, more modest clothing. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. And yet our children are immersed in this through social media every single day. We have a communications problem in the home because kids would rather sit across the table and text each other than talk to each other face to face. The problem with texting is you have no idea of the nuances of conversation. You don't know if they're mad, sad, hurt, depressed. All you see is an exclamation point and a smiley face, but you're not sure exactly what that means. They tell you you're a nice person today. Does that mean you're normally not? You don't know how to read that. It's difficult to get clarification. So much miscommunication takes place. And because of the anonymity of social media, most people can act like a total jerk. And because you don't put your name at the bottom, it's okay. Because you don't specifically name the name of the person you're slandering or gossiping about, that somehow the slander and gossip is okay because you didn't use their personal name, though everybody you contacted knows exactly who you're talking about. And we think that that's okay today. It is a sin. It needs to be repented of. Greatest encouragement I could get, and of course, nobody under the age of 21 is going to pay any attention to what I say right now, but you need to hear it anyway. Put down the cell phone. Turn the stupid thing off. Try it for one day and see if, in fact, you're not addicted. Just one day. I dare you in Jesus' name. Just one day. If you're under the age of 21, you're probably thinking, you're a nutcase. I couldn't dare live without my phone for a day. What do you think Jesus did? Do you think he was wringing his hands going, oh, man, I just wish I had a cell phone. Oh, crud, where is my Instagram account when I need it? Twitter, where are you? And yet we've come to convince ourselves because of the world's input in our lives rather than God's Word's input that that's okay. It doesn't make for better Christians. It makes for better pagans. So I think we need to decide today which you want to be, a better pagan or, or a better Christian. Part of the end times scenario that says, well, the family in America and around the world is falling apart, but hey, whatever. Paul writes the church at Colossae, and it's called a prison epistle because he wrote four books while under two years house rest in Rome, and Colossians was one of them. So it and Ephesians especially are going to have a lot in common. He also wrote Philippians and Philemon. Besides that, those are the four prison epistles. But you're going to find that he says pretty much the same thing in this passage beginning in chapter 3 and verse 18 that he does in writing the church at Ephesus, which means the church at Colossae had the problem and the church at Ephesus had the problem. And then Peter, when he writes First and Second Peter, addresses the whole church and he talks about these same exact issues, which meant the whole church in general was under attack in this area of family relations. 
It's an endemic problem today. The church at Colossae is only about five years old. Some of us might be tempted to look at them and go, well, they're a new church, new believers. They're not expected to know much. Well, Paul writes them what God's expectations actually are. And so I want you to envision this letter is written to you personally this morning. This is the Holy Spirit of God wanting to speak to the hearts of His people. Please don't harden your heart against anything that God wants to say to you this morning. Personalize it. Take it in. There's a nugget in here for you somewhere. Not all of the nuggets are for everybody in this room, but every single one of you will find everything that you need to prosper your home, your hearth, your marriage, and your children if you will simply vow right now to put these things into practice as God reveals the need to you. Paul's writing to them. The other prison epistles are all dated about 60 A.D. The church is only 30 years old, and yet it's gotten off the rails very quickly. He's under house arrest in, a, in this rented house of his where he sat for two years. Patient, patient in, in waiting. Having never met the Colossians personally, he encourages them with what God has done for them, and that's the first two chapters, and then what they should do in response to that in the second two chapters. It's that outline in Ephesus, in the Ephesian epistle. It is that way in Colossians. It's that way in Philippians. Always what God has done first, and then always what our responsibilities are in light of what God has done. <clears throat> but please make no mistake, these are responsibilities. Many of them are put in the Greek imperative, making it a command, not an option. <clears throat> Christians who have submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ are, are the ones willing to embrace all of God's will and word for their personal situation. If we'll just internalize this stuff, we'll benefit from it this morning. So chapters 3 and 4 outline our responsibility in light of our position in Christ Jesus, and the Bible always tells us that first, what God has done first, what God has done first. Only then does uh, Paul in these writings particularly lay out general rules for all of us. Holy living, that was the start of chapter 3. But when he hits verse 18, he starts getting very specific. He deals with specific relationships within the church. So the first 17 verses are for everybody. But then he's got a little bit of, of information to share with us one on one. He comes down to the specifics. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is the practical part of Christianity here, dealing with our roles, our relationships. It's going to sound much like uh, Ephesians, and we'll be looking at that. Uh, but I want you to understand that this is specific to you. Uh, before I start verse 18, I, can I ask something of you? Uh, would everyone who is a wife in this room raise your hand, please? Can I see your hands for just a moment? Every wife in here. Okay. No, you guys are not allowed to raise your hands. If, you need, if you're a stay-at-home mom, wives, verse 18, circle it, it's for you. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Submit carries no hint of inferiority. It acknowledges authority. Just like in the army, there are privates and captains and lieutenants and sergeants and all sorts of various uh, regimented stack, chew, and structure within that. And just because a private salutes a general doesn't mean that the general is of more worth. 
than the private. Both are made in the image of God. One simply has a higher rank, a higher calling, a different position. He has the authority that must be respected, even if you don't like the person. So in the marriage, wives are to submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, unless they ask you to do something that is clearly ungodly, submission to them should be the rule. You, of course, there should be discussion. doesn't mean that the husbands are the dictators or the wives are the doormats. God forbid you're equal in the sight of God as far as your worth goes. Christ died for all of us, amen, male and female, slave, Greek, Jew. We're all the same in that regard. But God has given spiritual headship to the husbands. And that's why Satan attacks the husband's spiritual walk more than the wife's. That's why so many Christian men have abdicated that responsibility to be the spiritual heads in their home. It's easier not to read. It's easier to watch the golf channel. It's easier to talk about sports. It's easier to be involved in entertainment. Honey, you raise the kids. Whatever you want to do, you're responsible for the bills and the mortgage and going shopping and keeping the kids clean and doing the wash. Me, I'm just going to goof off. Husbands are supposed to set the spiritual tone in the home. If you're not doing that, you're failing. You're failing God. You're failing your children. You're failing your wife. Own that failure. Some of you husbands need to, before you walk out of here this morning, tell your wives, I am sorry. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, if the husbands were acting like they were supposed to, the wives would probably have a less troublesome time submitting to their husbands. It's easier to submit to a godly husband. It's harder to submit to a jerk. Guys, write this down. Don't be a jerk. Complicated, isn't it? You need a 400-page book that you paid a lot of money for at some Christian bookstore. How to get a better marriage. How about we just put Scripture into practice? You don't need a book on marriage. You need God's Word. You need the Holy Spirit of God sitting on the throne of your heart. You need to set the stage spiritually in your home. You don't like where your home's at spiritually? Then change it, guys. That's on you. God created Adam first. Step up. Set the stage. Read the Bible. Read with your family. Pray over your wives. Wives then will have a far easier time obeying Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands. It's an old military term. It has a military ring to it, very common in the Koine Greek language for military obedience to superiors in the army. That's all they meant. Just do it. Obedience in government is essential as the same word shows in Romans 13, 1 and 5, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. We've got to pay taxes. We have to obey the cops. For there is no authority that God has established except that which is God established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Verse 5, therefore it is necessary to submit. Same word. Same word. So when a cop pulls up behind you and he's got his red lights flashing and you've been speeding, you know, the appropriate thing to do, the smart thing to do is pull over. Take the ticket, eat it, own it. It's on you. 
Don't argue with them. Don't strive. Don't make their job harder than it is. You submit to them because they have authority to impress the rules of the road upon people that don't obey them. Are you in the habit of speeding as a Christian? Have you confessed it as sin? You don't even think of it as sin. And that's a problem. My Bible says, we just read it, Romans 13, 1 and 5, obey the rules that God has put over you, the authorities that he's placed over you, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Running a red light starts at $500 in Colorado Springs. Why would you not obey the rules of the road? Well, I'm in a hurry. Running a red light will help. Help get you killed is what it'll do. Where do you think traffic accidents happen? I mean, every single traffic accident I've seen in the last several years is because somebody didn't follow the rules of the road. Obey the laws. And we wouldn't have any accidents in Colorado Springs at all. Don't drink and drive. Don't be high and drive. Don't run red lights. Yellow doesn't mean gun it. It means stop if you possibly can. I mean, read the handbook that they hand out when you're 16 years old. Yield means what? Well, you wouldn't know that by most of the drivers in Colorado Springs. What that means is try to beat the guy who, who's in front of you. Where's a cop when you need one? That's right. Road rage, you probably have a problem with that? Where's the peace of God in your heart? I get tested on these things just like you do, constantly. Constantly. I was driving the family in the RV up to get breakfast at Cracker Barrel yesterday, and I looked in my mirrors, and I've got, back, I've got side camera mirrors and backup mirrors on this thing, and, and I saw that this guy was about 150 feet in back of me, and so I put on my blinker, and I waited, and he kept his distance back of me. So I went over into the turn lane, and he honked his horn for about 30 seconds. What's that mean? I don't know, maybe he's saluting somebody that I was not aware of. And then as he went by, he did salute me. He gave me the single-digit salute, you know, and I felt very impressed. But you know what I was very impressed was what I didn't feel. I didn't feel any anger. And Luke said, Dad, he, he just gave you the finger. I said, no, he, not, no, 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 you, you got that wrong. He's telling me what his IQ is. What do you do to quell that kind of stuff? Be the, be the peacemaker. Don't let it bother you. It's okay. We're still going to heaven. Amen. Jesus is still coming back. It's okay. It's okay. Do everything you can to be a model citizen, a model Christian. The world will thank you for it. And even if they don't, that's okay. It is important that we do what is right. Wives, submit to your husbands as in fitting in the Lord. If your husbands ask you to do something that is a sin, you are under no obligation to do it whatsoever. Honey, I just want you to pull up beside this, uh, this uh, uh, bank here, and I'm only going to be in there for about 45 seconds, so you just stay out here and keep the motor running, and I'm going to come out with a couple of carriers full of cash, and we'll uh, make this. You just say no, no. In fact, turn off the car and get out and go home. Go walk. Go for a walk. And say, you're on your own, honey, bunny. You don't, if your husband asks you to do something that is a sin, don't do that. 
If the wives keep the balance, keep the books in the home and fill out the IRS taxes and your husband encourages you to cheat on your taxes, nope, I can't do that. That's against God. That's a sin against God and His Word. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, and don't ask your spouse to either. These are pretty basic rules that make for a better life, a better wife. But we can't stop reading there. Look at verse 19. Husbands. How many husbands do we have here this morning? Can I see your hands? Every husband. Okay, hold them high, hold them high, because I'm taking account. The video is running. You're on camera. Okay, gotcha. Good. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, agape your wives. As Christ loved the church is how it is worded in Ephesians 5.25. It is almost identical. It's written in the same time frame as Colossians because it was a common problem in the church. Peter will also pick that up later in 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll go over that here in just a moment. And Christ demonstrated his love for the church in a very powerful way, didn't he? It was demonstrated. Husbands should demonstrate their love for their wives. Guys, when's the last time you told your wives, I love you and I really appreciate you? When's the last time you said that? Then say it now. Turn to your wife and say, honey, I love you. Church should be practical. If you can't put it into practice, this is not entertainment sermon 101. That's not what I'm here for. You came this morning because you wanted to somehow or another participate in this thing called church. Well, this is your participation exercise. Husband shows his wife his love. He seeks to make her secure in his love. And then it is far easier for her to submit to him. Agape doesn't denote affection or romantic attachment. Rather, it carries the note of a loving care, a deliberate action, an attitude of the mind that concerns itself with the well-being of the other spouse. That's how husbands are supposed to love their wives. You can read this passage and think that Paul means, well, husbands be kind to your wives or husbands be nice to your wives. There's no doubt that in many of our marriages, that would be a huge improvement, but that's not what Paul says. What he actually means is husbands continually practice self-denial for the sake of your wife. Guys, it's not about you. It's about this precious bride of yours that God gave you, that you are to minister to. I know you can out-yell her. I know that you're physically stronger than her. Don't become a bully. Didn't you hate schoolyard bullies when you were a kid? Don't dare bully your wife or out-shout her or talk her down. Husbands continually practice this self-denial kind of love that says, I'll do anything to minister to you. It's not about me. Don't be harsh with them. That's worded in such a way in the original language that means stop doing what you're doing. It's one of the worst traits of men that I know. 
They treat their wives, they speak to them harshly. You've got to stop that. If you're going to call yourself the name of, by the name of Christ, stop that. Don't be harsh with your wives. Literally, it could be translated, stop being bitter or do not have the habit of being bitter. That's the sin of the husbands. The Greek word is pikreno. It's an old verb from pikros, which means bitter. It's where we get our word pickle. Pickle. Husbands, don't be pickled. A lot of different applications for that. We'll just leave it at that. Husbands tend to drink too much. Maybe that's another application of the word pickle. If you ever have more than two drinks of any kind on any occasion, you're heading quickly into the land of stupid. Here's why. Alcohol lowers your moral threshold. You do things and say things and think things under the influence of alcohol that you would not otherwise. Some of you drink way too much. Stop it. It leads you, some people, alcohol leads people to be bitter, mean, angry people. My dad was like that when he drank. He was a, an abusive alcoholic. I struggled with that as a kid growing up and made up my mind. I don't want to be like that at all. I, I just don't want to do that. I'm afraid to drink anything for fear of the fact that I could be some raging guy. But you tend to be more harsh with your spouse under the influence of alcohol than otherwise. Stop it. You tend to be more flirtatious with other people you're not married to when you're under the influence of alcohol. Stop it. Don't be harsh with them. Now, why would God command the husbands to love their wives so totally and supremely? Because God knows women. He knows that women need the security of knowing that they're loved above all else, that they're cared about, that the husband will defer anything he wants to do to the needs, wishes, and desires of his wife. He wants to help her be the most godly woman he can, so he'll set the godly example. Oh, sorry, honey, you're on your own. Set the example, guys. I, I am appalled at how many Christian men don't read their Bibles in their homes. Don't pray with their wives. Don't read with their wives. I'm appalled at that. It is going to destroy the church in America. It will destroy the family unit in America if Christian men don't start doing what is right scripturally. We have an obligation to our wives, our children, our family. God understands the needs of women. She needs to feel secure loved supremely. And if Jesus is not the center of the home, that kind of peace is never going to come. You got to make Jesus priority one, guys. That's the only hope you have for your home and your children turning out okay, your wives being happy and contented. No amount of books or therapies or counseling will fix a marriage if there is no foundation in Christ Jesus. You must have a word-centered relationship. In fact, doesn't Scripture talk about washing your wives with the water of the Word? What's that mean? In part, read the Bible to her, man. Have a quiet time with her. Husbands, do yourselves a favor. If you like yourself, love your wives. Happy wife, 
happy life. Okay, now you, you understand, of course, it's hypocrisy to know that and to say that but not do that. Hmm? You hearing? You hear me? This is, this is, how many husbands again we got in here? Let me see. Okay, just want you to know, are you getting this? Say, I'm getting this, Pastor Jim. Well, that was wimpy. I'm getting this, Pastor Jim. There are exceptions, obviously. If the husband asks the wife to sin, she must not submit. When the husband's medically incapacitated, insane, under the influence of mind-altering substances like alcohol or drugs, the wife doesn't have to submit. When the husband is, is violent or physically threatening, the wife doesn't have to submit to that. Call the cops. Press charges. You want an abusive husband to stop doing what he's doing? Spending a little time in a county courthouse will probably fix a lot of that. Verbal abuse is a gray area best prayed about and let the Lord lead and guide you in that decision. Verbal abuse is real, but it's also used as a cop-out. might be, well, he was mean to me. That's verbal abuse. I don't think so. I grew up in a military house with an abusive alcoholic father. I kind of know what verbal abuse is. And when you call each other a nanny booper, that, pro that probably doesn't, that doesn't qualify. That, that's not it. Or he wouldn't mow the lawn when I asked him to do the lawn. Can I divorce him? Don't threaten it, but don't do it. <laughs> There's something in here for the kids, too. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It's a command to continuously continue doing that. Now, there's, there's some parents that don't deserve the title, really, of being a father or mother, and they would lead their kids into all kinds of ungodly and deviant behavior. Uh, I'm sickened by teenage daughters that are abused by, by their fathers or child pornography. I, it is the most horrifying and despicable thing a man can do. A child does not have to submit to that kind of lust or insanity. Charges need to be pressed, and that person in prison, maybe that'll stop the issue. On the other hand, the child says, you know, I want to go to church tonight, and your parent says, no, you better do your homework. Do your homework. Just do your homework. It's, there's not a moral issue in, involved in that. Probably just best to do that. It does say... <laughs> According to Hebrew law, that a rebellious, disobedient, profligate, and drunkard and insolent son was to be stoned to death by the town elders in Deuteronomy 21. We can't do that today. You better clean your room or I'm going to take you to church and Pastor Jim's going to stone you to death. You can't play that card. You can't do that today. Uh, obviously, if, the, if that son in Deuteronomy 21 was getting drunk, uh, it's an older son. It's an adult child an adult son or daughter. And then the, the, the motivation is given for children to obey their parents. For this pleases the Lord. This pleases the Lord. Can I tell you everything that we've been asked to do so far pleases the Lord when we do this? I mean, that's all the motivation you should need. I just want to please the Lord. This pleases the Lord when you do these things. doesn't stop with the father's obligation here. 
Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. It means, the original Greek word erythro means to excite in a negative way uh, to the point that your children become discouraged, that is, without passion or desire. In other words, you crush their fire, their zeal. The, the Greek describes a crushed, broken, or lifeless spirit because of the constant criticism of unrealistic expectations or belittling. Don't do that to your children, guys. You can destroy your children by your unrealistic expectation. Well, why can't you be as smart as your brother? Maybe they're not. Maybe you ought to cut them some slack. Maybe they're working at 110% and all they can manage is C's, and you ought to applaud them on that. You got another child who's a borderline genius. They come home with straight A's and never do any homework at all and don't study. We somehow or another think that's, that's a good thing and the boy who's making or the girl who's making the C's should step up and why can't you be more like your other sibling? The word father speaks of continuous discouragement. There is such a thing as breaking a wild horse. I've watched many people do that over the years. And it is to make them usable and a profitable animal at that point. But never do you break an animal to the point of abuse. Never do you break them to the point that they are never fit for anything after that. You can do that to an animal. You can do that to a horse. You can do that to a child. Ask your kids, honey, did you, did you give it your all on that test? Yeah, Dad, I did. I'm proud of you. Way to go. Is there anything I can do to help you, to encourage you? Be there for him. Well, I can't believe you struck out for the third time in Little League, loser. You as a father should be horse-whipped. We do that to our children all the time. Never deprecate your children. Don't, don't beat them down. Don't try to break them. Good grief. They're to be encouraged. They're to be loved. They're to be lifted up. God gave you children so you could set the, the example in the house of what being a godly parent is so that when they grow up, they will be godly parents. Because here is the inevitable curse. Your son's dads are going to turn out just like you. Good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. They're gonna, you didn't read your Bible? Your kids ain't going to, when they become adults, you were a pathetic father, they'll grow up to be pathetic fathers. You'll, you're an alcoholic, oh, you've taught them well, they will drink plenty. Set a positive example in your home. The world sets a bad example and the world is going to hell in a handbasket. If you haven't watched the news lately, do something about that in your home. Some of you fathers need to tell your children, I am sorry for beating you down and abusing you and having unrealistic expectations. I'm sorry. Some of you dads need to apologize before the sun sets today. 
He addresses next in verse 22 the issue of slavery. And slavery is neither condoned or condemned in Scripture. The institution really needed to change within. We know it's wrong, and Paul encouraged slaves, man, if you can get your freedom, do that by, by all means. But it's one of those social issues, and among many, that Jesus could have addressed in his day, but didn't. There's a lot of social issues out there today that would be solved not by addressing the social issues, but by introducing them to Jesus Christ. Christians make better decisions than pagans. They make moral decisions. And a lot of the social issues that we address today through picketing and placarding and writing congressmen and stuff like that, and that's between you and Lord. If you want to do that, that's fine too. That's well within your constitutional rights. But if every man, woman, and child in America were sold out, born-again Christian, we wouldn't have these issues to begin with. Maybe they just need Jesus. Then all those social issues would be dealt with automatically. I want to look at what Paul says. You can keep your finger here if you like. Paul, in writing to the Ephesian church in chapter 5 and verse 22, says something that sounds very much like this, but I want to point out some of the unique differences. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, as you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So, wives, you should submit then to your husbands, not because they're worthy of it, they're not, because it pleases the Lord. That's why you should do it. For the husband is the head of his wife. That's spiritual headship. Doesn't make you the dictator of the home. Gives you the responsibility of setting the spiritual tone. Don't be a lazy spiritual husband. A lot of folks are. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Well, that sounds very much like what he wrote the Colossian church because it's the same, the same problem. Husbands, love your wives. Again, the word agape, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's a sacrificial kind of love that says, not my will, but yours be done. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That's unique to Ephesians. Guys, wash your wives with the water of the word. Peter will tell us that the, this water of washing is the Word of God itself. Read the Bible to your wives. Have a, have a, just read a chapter or two and say, well, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Uh, set aside that time. But husbands, it's on you to set the example. Wives resent having you to make you do it. They may not tell you that, but they tell me that all the time. They resent Husbands not stepping up spiritually. Be the spiritual man that God has called you to. Washing her with the water through the word, verse 27, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives, agape their wives as their own bodies. That's where happy wife, happy life comes from. If you love yourself, love your wife. Do yourself a favor. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and takes care of it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. That's a spiritual union primarily. 
The physical union flows out of that. If you haven't noticed, guys, if you and your wife are not getting along well, your bedroom life will suffer. You notice that? That's what he's talking about. A man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh spiritually, and everything else flows out of that. This is a profound mystery, Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Husbands need respect. They need an attaboy. Husbands, ladies, this may be a total revelation to you. Husbands hate nagging. I don't know if you knew that or not, but continuing to do that won't help. It does not make for a happier husband. Part of respecting your husband is not to talk down to him or denigrate him or, or say, you lazy bum, you're good for the Well, I've told you a thousand times to fix this cabinet. That's not the best way to motivate you. You respect your husband, he'll respond to you better. I love the way that works at my house sometimes. Kathy will say, honey, could you, could you reach that on the top shelf for me? I, I can't reach that. And you're so big and you're so strong. Well, sure, little lady, let me get that off that top shelf for you there. Men like that stuff. Men eat it up with a fork and knife. You pat him on the back and give him an attaboy, you'll get 20,000 more miles out of him doing that. We just need that. That's how God made us. God made women differently, and that's wonderful when we work together and respect each other's God-given differences, love each other, respond to each other, respect each other, as the Word of God tells us to do. He also had something in the Ephesian letter to say about the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, he says in chapter 6, verse 1, for this is right, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with the promise that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy a long life on earth. So you can tell your kids, you need to respect and obey your mom and dad or you will die. God will get you. You won't live long. Respect them just because God said to. Children, obey your parents. It blesses God when you do that. Fathers, it says in verse 4, don't exasperate your children. Boy, there's a unique Greek word. You can exasperate them, pushing them to do more than they have the ability to do. Your children, each of your children have a different IQ. Do not expect the same thing out of each one of them. They cannot perform at the same level. So don't be all prideful about the one who makes straight A's and all down in the mouth and dogging the one that can't. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are supposed to do that, not mothers. Honey, won't you tuck them into bed and read the Bible to them, and I'm going to watch uh, sports or TV or the news or something. What the wife should say is, honey, I love you and I respect you, but you're a slacker. Bible says in Ephesians, that's your job. Why don't you do that? You're the spiritual head of the family. We need to do that, guys. He addressed the slavery as well. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. It doesn't apply to slavery today since it's been outlawed, but it does apply to employee-employer relationships. You should be the first one there, last one to leave, and the hardest worker in between. 
You should set the example of what it looks like to honor God in the workplace. That's what he's saying. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. That's a good way to look at your employment situation. What your job is is irrelevant. How you do your job is everything. That's your Christian witness and testimony. That's what the world will take note of. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good He does, whether He's slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that He who is both your master and theirs is in heaven and there's no favoritism with Him. Now, Peter will add just a bit of a twist in 1 Peter chapter 3 as he addresses this very same situation that Paul addresses in Colossians. He says, wives, in the same way, be submissive, there's that word again, to your husbands, so, listen carefully to this, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So, gals, if any of you are married to a husband who is not believing the Word or not acting like he believes the Word, you can win them over when they watch your behavior. You set the godly example. You let your unbelieving husband see you reading your Bible and praying and encouraging faith in the kids. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, Peter says, so your beauty should not come only from outward adornment, such as braided hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So those of you gals that are married to unbelieving husbands or husbands not acting like they believe the Word, you can change that in your home without a word. Zip the lip. Set the example. Don't nag them. Husbands hate that and don't respond to that with anything but resistance. For this is the way that holy women of the past, Peter says, who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. Nothing wrong with fixing your hair up or wearing makeup or, or nice clothes. That's not what Peter's saying. He's saying don't limit it to that. What is of greater benefit in your marriage is a gentle and quiet spirit in touch with the living God. That's what will minister your husbands more than any amount of hairdo's will or makeup or Botox. They were submissive to their husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham, called him her master. You are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Fear, what happens if I give in to my husband? What happens if I acknowledge his headship? Oh, I'm fearful that things are going to get out of control if I let him do whatever he wants to do. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate of them and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Don't take advantage of them because you're physically stronger. Carry the groceries. Carry the heavy load. Open the doors. Show a little chivalry. It's a lost and dying art in America today, opening the car door for your wife. Kathy, do you like it when I do that? Yeah. Do it. Open the door when you walk in there. Do these common courtesy things that today is a lost art in America. Peter warns husbands, do this because uh, respecting them as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing hinders your prayer. So if you're harsh with your wife, it hinders your prayer life, guys. Don't do that. 
can't be harsh. It, it comes with the territory. Men are born with testosterone, and it can make you an ugly guy from time to time. It's a hormone. It's a steroid. It, like other steroids used in the professional sports world, can make you a mean person. And guys can get all the meaner when life doesn't turn out the way they planned. It results in frustration in a man. That frustration always and exclusively comes out in anger in women, tends to come out in discouragement and depression. It's just the difference between the way that God made us. All of these commands, whether written to the Ephesians or to the Colossians or as Peter reminds the entire church in 1 Peter chapter 3, all of these commands are based upon your being spirit-filled in the Word of God, right with God, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you can't and won't, you won't keep these commands if you're not in the Spirit. You won't do it. So first and foremost, guys and gals, make sure your walk with the Lord Jesus is tight. Make sure that you are confessed of your sins, past, present, and future. Give them all to submit to Him in His Lordship. Because I think that God wants all of us happier than we are, more fulfilled than we are, more contented than we are. And he will give us that if we just follow his rules. It's so simple. It is so simple. As in Colossian epistle in verse 22, he wraps it up. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you, sounds like Ephesians, and win their, to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, verse 23, here's a highlighter passage. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. doesn't matter what you do. It matters how you do it and by whose power you are doing it. Stay in touch. Be spirit-filled every day. Ask every day fresh for the Holy Spirit to fill you with His fruit, His spiritual gifts. Get in the Word of God. Pray. Submit afresh every day. Your homes will be better for it. Your workplace will be better for it. Your marriage will be better for it. Your children will be better for it. Verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong in regard to these commands. And there is no favoritism. Let's stand and close in prayer, shall we? You've got a lot of homework. Husbands, you've got a lot of homework. Wives, you get some homework too. Kids, you've got some homework too. Slaves, masters, employers, employees. There's room for improvement in all of these areas, isn't there? Bow your head, close your eyes with me, please, and let's pray. Father, forgive me these areas that I have failed you in. May my spouse forgive me my sins, my failures to keep these clear commands. Forgive me for spiritual pride. Forgive me for spiritual laziness. Forgive me, Lord, for accepting the statistics that are in society all around us, that are destroying the American family unit, destroying the fabric of American society. We've lost our moral compass and we're traded it in on the latest cell phone. 
or social media technology. Forgive us our sins, oh God. It's always been us and you. It's not technology. It's not the jobs that we have. It's not our wants, wills, or desires. We have all sinned and fallen short, your glory. And here and now we confess that it's sin and ask that you forgive us and remind us of who we are and that we have a responsibility to act like who we are as sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We surrender to you. We love you with all of our hearts. Help us to love you more. Help us to apologize, husbands to wives and wives to husbands, parents to children as appropriate this morning, Lord, because we have all sinned and fallen short. Forgive us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. church, it starts with our hearts. When we give it to the Lord, He will help us in everything that we need. He will assist in the changes that we need in our life, the new direction we need to go. And it's because we submitted to Him. So this song came to me, and you all know it, but let's sing it with intent, giving it to God, and letting Him move and make changes on our behalf, where He is worthy of it all, and He's calling you. Change our hearts. For you, God. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. Yeah. 
Bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon them, Lord. As they seek your face, as they surrender all, as they stay humble, fix them, their marriages, their homes, their hearts, their children. Lord, into your hands I commit these children of yours. Bless them. Encourage them. May they become, Lord, a church of encouragers. Wives submitted to their husbands. Husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Children obedient to their parents, making us the hardest and best employees and employers we can be. To your glory, Father, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for hearts that you've spoken to this morning. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen.